Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. opportunity to gather together in the name of your son Jesus Christ Lord we're here to lift up and celebrate that name this morning it's a celebration every time we mention the name of Jesus hallelujah thank you father that you're with us today you're in our presence you promise to be here we know you are and we thank you Lord that you'll manifest yourself in a special way in here God we know there's needs in this place today and we know that you're the need maker the way maker uh, and, and you'll make a way, you'll, you'll fulfill a need in this place today. In Jesus' name, we declare and decree it, and we expect it to happen. Lord, you said faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. And Lord, your word is going to be preached today, and we just believe that faith is going to come. Faith that will get us through the next trial. Faith that will get us uh, the thing that we've been believing you for, God. Faith will come in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you to anoint me to preach this word with boldness, clarity, simplicity, and above all, rightly dividing the word of truth and preaching it with accuracy. I thank you, Father, that the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth will be pleasing unto you, and they will be effective with each and every one that's in this place today, Lord. Somebody's life is going to get changed today. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you for it. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed. You do need help today, don't you, Miss Lauren? Tyler's available. Now, last time I thought I'd be good, they tied me up. Hallelujah. Well, we've been studying on the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus dictated to John and John distributed amongst the churches. And eventually they got uh, circulated amongst all the churches, not just the churches that they were addressed to. And uh, I think it's safe for us to call them epistles, just like any other letter that's in the New Testament. And so we've been studying them. We've been through six churches. Today we're going to venture into the final church that he wrote a letter to, and that's the church at Laodicea. And I think it's one of the most harshest letters he wrote. And it's a letter with a warning in it that applies to every church. And it's almost scary how much these letters apply to our church. I've seen something in every letter that applies to our church. I've seen something in every letter that we could apply it to our church and do better. Amen? Amen? And this one actually scares me a little bit. But I'll let you be the judge of that. And when I'm finished, we'll see. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to start reading. I'm reading in the King James. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, unto the pastor, unto the, the, to the minister of the church at Lay the seal right. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. In other words, I'd rather you be cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Some translations say, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. But anyway, you look at it, this church nauseated the Lord. 
made him want to puke. Why? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church is in bad shape. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So he's got a solution to their uh, wretched, miserable, poor, blind lives, naked lives. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Praise the Lord. You know, Laodicea is an interesting name for a church. And it's actually kind of scary because it means ruled by the people. It also means a people judged. In other words, the Laodicean church is ruled by a democracy and it's going to bring judgment to them because God never intended his church to be a democracy. God intended for his church to be a theocracy ruled by one person and that's Jesus Christ himself. And he don't need a majority. He doesn't need a jury. He doesn't need anybody to help him decide what's right and wrong. He knows. He doesn't need witnesses. He doesn't need uh, evidence, whether it's sculptory or otherwise. He knows. He has all the evidence he needs. Nothing is hidden from him. So he can judge accurately and righteously and truly. And you might say there's nothing wrong with a democracy because our country is a democracy. Well, not actually. Our country is a republic, but it functions like both a democracy and a republic. They're pretty close together. There's very little difference between them. So I think you could use the words interchangeably, democracy, republic. They're both forms of government in which the power is supposed to reside with its citizens, with the people. And the word republic refers specifically to a government in which those citizens elect representatives who they send to Congress and they're supposed to speak on their behalf and they're supposed to defend the Constitution, its bylaws, and its amendments. And unfortunately, our country is not being run as either one a republic or a democracy right now. Oh, we elected the officials that are, we elect the officials and individuals that are supposed to represent us. And we listen to their speeches and we listen to their promises. And then when they get elected and they go off, not all of them, but a great majority of them forget who they're representing and forget the promises they make. And they become politicians and it's the same old, same old, same old, nothing changes. And they're supposed to make decisions on our behalf. They're supposed to represent us. They come to us and find out what we want and what we need. And if it's, in, if it's within the uh, uh, Constitution and our bylaws and amendments, then they're supposed to go to Congress and fight for us. But that's not what's going on in our country right now. Our country is closer to being a monarchy or even a tyrannical dictatorship because a lot of the laws that we've been living under for the last few years have been dictated to us. And I'm sure it's not what the majority of the people in this country actually want. The system is actually working in reverse right now because our representatives are telling us what we want. Our representatives are telling us what we need. And they're telling us what's good for us and what isn't. And we don't have enough.
common sense to know what's good for us, to know what's right or wrong, or to know what we want. So they have to make up our minds for us. And when our elected officials turn their backs on us and start following party lines, and an incompetent leader, then they no longer represent we the people that voted them in. And that's when it's time for a fair and free election to vote them out and try some new representatives. And when someone is put into office any other way than the way I described through a free and fair election, and they're placed into, into office through a fraudulent election, I'm trying to disguise some of the things I'm saying. It's not working, so I'm just going to say it. Then they were not placed there to represent we the people. They were placed there to promote an agenda and exercise power over we the people. And it's completely reversed from what our founding fathers wanted for this country. And that's when a democracy and a majority rule becomes very dangerous for the people because they're not represented anymore. They, are, they have politicians that are working against them. And you have to remember, every fraudulent or illegal vote takes away a legal vote. So if I cast my ballot and somebody slips a fraudulent ballot in there, it cancels out my vote. So what happened to my voice? It got stepped on. This has a lot to do with my sermon. I'll get to that. But when that happens, you will eventually lose your democracy because the government is no longer working for or representing the people that voted those politicians in. And now it's being ruled by an, a majority that has an agenda and personal interests, and they have nothing to do with you. For example, do you honestly believe the majority of we the people in this country want open borders? Nope. Do you believe the majority of people want our farms and beautiful countryside littered with giant wind turbines and solar panels? Do you believe the majority of the people in our country want to be dependent on foreign energy? Do you believe the majority of people in our country want high energy prices and skyrocketing grocery prices with shortages? Do you think the majority of people want to be forced to have something injected into their bodies against their will? Do you think the majority of people in this country want to have mail-in ballots or ballot harvesting when we vote for those people that are supposed to represent us? Do you think the majority of people in this country want fair and free elections that are monitored by voter ID and paper ballots and not through a machine that can be manipulated electronically from foreign countries even? Do you think the majority of people in this country want to be forced to obey laws that violate our constitution as bylaws and amendments and violates our moral beliefs? No, I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe the majority of the people in this country want any of those things. And yet, here we are. And I can go on and on, but my point is this. If you think the majority of the people in this country are proper, properly represented by our government, that is, that is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, then i got a bridge I'd like to sell and some land in Florida. But why the lesson on democracy today? Because that's exactly what Jesus was dealing with in this church at Laodicea. Because it was ruled by a, a democracy. It was being ruled by people who were ignoring the Constitution, the Bible, and voting what they wanted in or out by a majority. That's not what Jesus intended. And you know what's wrong with the church that's being run by a majority rule? Uh, we just had a board meeting and 
the majority decided that the Bible is outdated and is no longer relevant. The majority decided that there is no hell and God was wrong about there being only two sexes. And the majority decided that marriage is not just between a man and a woman. The board also decided that we can continue to live a pagan lifestyle that we came out of and still be a Christian. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the constitution of the church? It's not in there anywhere. So you can see Jesus' dilemma. There's no place for a democracy or a majority rule in any church. And no church is supposed to be run by a board. The only board I found in the Bible was the one that Paul latched on when he was shipwrecked and floated to the island of Melita on. Oh, you can find a few other boards, but they're all being used for construction. But I've never seen a board that would run a church. God's church is set up to be run by under-shepherds, by pastors. And that pastor needs to be led by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Word of God. Uh, and not all pastors do that. I understand that. But if you're in a church where they have anything that pass, any kind of rules or laws that don't pertain to the constitution of the church, get out of there. You know, a shepherd that follows after the example of the shepherd, that's why we're called under-shepherds. We're under the shepherd. A pastor that can say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And I don't have a problem with boards. We have a board for this church. But our board is a board of advisors because there is safety in the multitude of counsel. There's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. And so some things need to be talked over. And sometimes even some things have to be put to a vote. But you can't vote against what the Bible has already established. And it's the under-shepherd's job to see that you stay on course like that. I do have a problem with the board of directors. And I don't think I have to explain that. I mean, the meaning is in the name. It was never intended for any church to be directed by a board of men and women. God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's a theocracy, a kingdom that is ruled by God and God alone. And God declares what is right and wrong, and he put it in his word. Not man, not a majority. You don't get to decide what's right or wrong. It's already been decided what's right or wrong. There's no voting and there's no majority concerning God's kingdom or his church. And it's arrogant and ignorant to think otherwise. And that's what the problem with this church was. You know, uh, Joshua confronted the people of Israel. And he told them, choose this day who you're going to serve. You want to serve a foreign god? You want to serve Baal? Go ahead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't ask his wife. He didn't ask his children. He didn't have a family meeting. He didn't take a vote. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'll see to it that it's done. But this is the type of arrogance and ignorance that Jesus is dealing with in this church at Laodicea. This is the type of arrogance and ignorance that we're dealing with with this present day government that we're living under. I'm not going to prophesy what's coming, but I know something's coming. And I got four words for you and three words for me, or three words for you and four words for me. The four words for me is I will not comply. The three words I have for you is do not comply. That's all I'm going to say about it at this point. But Jesus is dealing with this arrogance and ignorance in this church at Laodicea. Arrogant because they said they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing, including God. Ignorance because 
They didn't know that they were actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And Jesus had to tell them. This church thought they were successful because of their many possessions. And I don't have a problem with possessions. You know that. I believe in a prosperity gospel. But I believe in humility as well. They said they were rich, increased with good goods, and had need for nothing, which would normally be a really good testimony. I'd like to have that testimony for this church. But then they mixed it with arrogance, and that becomes lukewarmness. How do I know that? Because right after Jesus said they were lukewarm in verse 16, he said in the very next verse, it was because they said they were rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Arrogance and ignorance equals lukewarmness. And Laodicea was a prosperous city, a rich city, full of rich and influential people. Probably many of them that went to this church, tithe payers, givers. And from a physical appearance, they were doing really good. Large membership, beautiful buildings, great programs, great praise and worship, fantastic budget, and money in the bank. They did have a successful looking church, but they measured their success by all the things they owned. And Jesus doesn't judge success or failure by how many things you own. He judges success and failure by how many things own you. And that was a problem. This was the type of church where the pastor wouldn't speak the truth because he was afraid he would lose that major tithe payer. The opposite of arrogance is what? Humility. And you can avoid arrogance and maintain humility by recognizing how small you actually are in the presence of your maker. That will keep you humble in itself. And when you realize it's by the grace of God that you have a beautiful home, when you realize that it's by the goodness and grace of God that you have a beautiful family and a car and a pantry full of grocery and money in the bank, when you realize that it's by God's goodness and by God's grace that you have all of these things, it will humble you. It will keep, keep you humble and you won't even think about being arrogant. But these people thought they had it going on and it made them arrogant. And Jesus said, you're not only arrogant, you're ignorant because you are the exact opposite of all those things that you say you are. You are spiritually bankrupt and you're discontent, disconnected from me. That's a terrible place to be. When we recognize our dependence on God, we'll realize just how small and helpless we are. I have this and I have that and I've got money in the bank and I've got, you got nothing. You're two weeks away from a soup line. But by the grace of God, there go I. Jesus said, I know all the things you do. Remember in every church, all seven churches, he says, I know thy works. I know thy deeds. You can't hide nothing from me. I know everything that's going on. I know what's in your heart. I know why you're doing what you're doing. And I know why you don't do what you should do. You can't hide anything from me. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spew you, spit you, puke you, vomit you out of my mouth. You nauseate me. This type of Christianity in this church makes me sick. That's what he's saying. He has more respect for somebody that's cold or hot than he does for somebody that's lukewarm. Because lukewarm Christianity has done more to the kingdom of God than any other thing that the devil can come up with. If the devil, devil can just make you lukewarm, he'll leave you alone. Because he knows you'll never accomplish anything. And he knows that You'll nauseate God and he'll spew you out of his mouth. If you're hot, great. If you're cold, 
not so great. But if you're lukewarm, you make the Lord sick. You make him want to puke. Sorry, I'm trying to be plain here. See, Laodicea didn't have a water source. They had a city called Heropolis on one side, and it had hot springs, like, you know, hot springs in Arkansas. It's just hot water bubbles up, and, and, and it comes up in a lake or a pond, and it keeps the water hot. Man, hot water is great. It's healing. It has healing powers. Hot coffee is great. Hot tea is great. But lukewarm, not so great. And then on the other side, they had another city that was had plenty of cold water rivers. And so there was only one way to get those waters to the city of Laodicea is through aqueducts that were built by the Romans. And they would uh, conduit that water from the hot springs into Laodicea, but by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And then they do the same thing with the cold water. They, they conduit that cold water through the aqueducts, and by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was lukewarm. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hot is good. Cold is good. But when it's lukewarm, mediocre, I don't want to drink lukewarm coffee. I certainly don't want to drink lukewarm milk. Probably make you sick. And that's what he's talking about here. So Jesus is giving them a choice. See, they were straddling the fence, the proverbial fence. And actually, actually, that's what lukewarmness is. You're straddling the fence. You're in between hot and cold. And Jesus is saying, go one way or the other. If you're sitting on the, on the fence as a Christian, then I'm going to tell you right now, you're on the wrong side of it. So Jesus is giving them a choice. Get off the fence. Get in or, or get out. Get all the way into the kingdom of God or get all the way into the world. Either you're going to be sold out to me or sold out to the world. There's no middle ground. And the thing we should care about more than anything else in the world is being on fire for God. Being hot for God. Being sold out to God. We should want that more than anything else in the world. And if we don't, then that's a problem. I don't have to tell you if you're lukewarm. You should know it. As a matter of fact, I know you do because if you don't, you're either deceived or very confused. I knew the times in my life when I was hot. I knew the times in my life when I was cold. And I certainly knew the times in my life when I was lukewarm towards the things of God and mediocre and just ho-hum about church. I knew those times. I'm not lukewarm anymore. I'm not cold anymore. I'm on fire for God. I want to do everything I can for God. I want to do everything in my power to enhance the kingdom of God and grow the kingdom of God. Amen. But here's what scares me. is when you know you're lukewarm and you don't do anything about it and you leave here the same way that you came in. You came in lukewarm and you leave lukewarm. Especially after a hot word like this is being preached. These people were laid back about God and they didn't feel like they needed him because they thought they had everything they needed and yet they neglected their spiritual well-being. Isn't that what happens to a lot of us? You know, uh, I, the scripture chapter verse escapes me right now, but there's a place in the Old Testament where it says you've got to be careful when you are enriched with goods and everything's going your right. You've got to be going your way. You've got to be careful that you don't forget God. And that's what happens when everything's going right. And we wonder why we go through tests and trials at times. It's so we remember God. When we get our back up against the wall or we fall in a pit, all of a sudden we remember God. But when everything is going good, the check is coming in, we're getting raises and promotions, and the, and the family's doing good, and all the things, everything in life is so good, we forget God. God wants to bless you with a boat. 
But he can't because he knows you'd be out on the lake on Sunday. <laughs> God wants us to be blessed. He wants you to have a, uh, an abundance of good things. But there's danger in having great possessions. You could lose your soul over them. Riches and wealth could lead to apathy. It could lead to your independence of God. It could lead to mediocrity. It could lead to lukewarmness. Not a whole lot of people could handle great wealth or riches. And that's one of the reasons why so many people aren't being blessed as much as God would like to bless them. Let me show you what a lukewarm Christian is like. If I stay home from work, from church today, eh. Or if I go to church today, eh. They might act like a Christian on Monday, but not Tuesday. They're back on Wednesday, but off again Thursday. Up on Friday, but down on Saturday. Sunday? Well, Sunday is always a toss-up. I'm too tired to pray today. I know I should read the word, but I, I just don't feel like it today. Sunday morning, the alarm goes off. You planned to go to church when you went to bed. But that's before you realize how tired you are and how good that bed feels this morning. So you hit the snooze and hit the snooze and hit the snooze until it's too late to go to church. And shame on you if it's your job to lead the family to church. Because now you done affected everybody's life in the house. But let's say you do get up, but you get up with an attitude. Well, I'll go to church if I feel like it after breakfast. See how I feel after breakfast. It's supposed to rain anyway, and if it rains, I can't go fishing. But then again, I don't want to go to church in the rain either. I know, I just watch one of those TV evangelists on television. I didn't know there was a ball game today. And so you watch the Reds instead of go to church. And instead of watching your pastor on Facebook Live. Well, I don't need a whole lot of God anyway. There's nothing wrong with me. I got a good job, a nice car, a nice house. Got my retirement all set up. Pocket full of money, pantries full of groceries. Let me tell you something. You're lukewarm, apathetic, and pathetic. And you're the one Jesus is talking about in this letter. And most people are satisfied with just a little God. Not too much, but just enough to appease my religious conscience. It's good to go to church once in a while, but not every time the doors are open. It's good to give a little in the offering basket, but that 10%? Mm -hmm. It's good for my kids to learn some morals, but let's not get fanatical. You know, some people are content with being lukewarm, and they'll get upset when you challenge them like I'm challenging you today to get on fire for God. It upsets them. They know they're lukewarm. They're happy. They're, lukewarm is comfortable. Let's face it. You got a swimming pool. Do you like diving in it when it first opens up and it's ice cold? No. Do you like diving in it at the end of summer when it's hot? No. When's the best time to swim? When it's lukewarm. It's comfortable. It feels good. And some people are content with that. They sit on a fence and they have a hard time who to sell out to. Should I sell out to the kingdom of God or should I sell out to the world? Like that's even a comparison. Like there's even a choice there. Verse 17, he says, you say I'm rich, I have everything I want. That sounds like the farmer and the rich young ruler. They both decided, I have everything I need and I don't need you. That's where this church was. And that's why Jesus had to set that church straight. Their arrogance and ignorance blinded them to the fact that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. A homeless person was in better shape than these people spiritually. 
Oh, they may have been rich in worldly possessions, but Jesus made it clear they weren't rich towards God. And he obviously didn't want them to remain like that, so he told them what they needed to do. And you know, if you're lukewarm, if anybody's lukewarm, if I'm lukewarm, I don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. Amen. And if you're staying lukewarm, it's because you're comfortable and you like being lukewarm. Amen. That's right. There's a remedy for lukewarmness. Yes. And Jesus tells us what it is here. He says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. He's a great counselor, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. I counsel thee. I'm giving you some good advice. I'm advising you to buy from me true gold that's been tried in the fire. Why? So that thou mayest be rich. And I counsel thee to buy of me white raiment. Why? That thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And buy of me eye salve, and anoint thine eyes with it that thou mayest see. Amen. So he had a solution to all their problems. He would give them true riches, yes. sumptuous clothing, I say so that they wouldn't be blind anymore. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying, you need to come to me and buy gold that's been tried and true and refined in the fire. Yes. You need to come to me and buy things that cannot fail. You need to come back to the real gold standard, which is me, and quit following after fool's gold that the world's been selling you. Everything that sparkles, yes. everything that shines. Uh -huh. He's saying, quit doing business with the world because they're selling you counterfeit goods and you don't even know it. Right. The world's been selling you fool's gold. Wake up. Yes. Open your eyes. Right. Stop giving all your attention to things that are temporary and subject to change. Ooh, when on. you can have, you can focus on spiritual things, eternal things yes. that will last forever. Yes. That's some good advice. In other words, if you're shopping for love, joy, peace, fulfillment, courage, strength, health, prosperity, or success of any kind in any other store, if you're shopping in any other store but my store, you're shopping in the wrong place and you're being sold counterfeit goods. Amen. Amen. Yes. And one of the reasons there's so many failing marriages is because they refuse to come to the only one that can heal their marriage. Yes, that's it. Some people really want their marriage healed. Yes. They really want their marriage to work, but instead of taking it to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the one that could heal all the hurts and broken hearts, they go to a worldly marriage counselor that's been divorced three times himself Amen. and get advice from him. You're shopping in the wrong place. And Jesus says you're wasting your time and your money. Yes. You know, Pastor Ed and I have done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. Not so much anymore. <laughs> People come to us for counseling now. We say, do the word. That's right. It's all the counseling you're getting. Do yes. the word. Yes. It will take care of your problem. That's right. <laughs> we do counsel at a time. But it's got to be life and death. But I can honestly say that we have never seen a marriage fail where both the husband and the wife were totally committed to Jesus and he was the center of that marriage. That's We've right. never seen a marriage like that fail. That's right. Pastor and I just celebrated 54 years of marriage, uh, like almost 60 years together. Yeah. You know why? Because of him. Amen. And I, you know, I realize I'm the perfect husband, uh, the greatest catch there is, but I still needed his help. And she needed it twice as bad as me. <laughs> she needed it. No, no, I mean, she needed his help more than I needed his help because I was worse than she was. But, you know, our marriage has never, hasn't been perfect. It's not perfect now. But we know the center. You know, when I worked for UPS, I was a safety manager, just quickly. And I taught on uh, fires and 
what caused them, what to use for different types of fires and how to put them out. And I said, fire is like a triangle. It has, uh, it has to have a heat source, it has to have a fuel source, and it has to have oxygen. If you take, any, take away any one of those three things, the fire goes out. That's kind of like love and life. That's kind of what a marriage is like. It's a triangle. You got the husband, the wife, and Jesus. You remove any one of those three things and the marriage dies. So you got to keep that marriage focused on Jesus. And it will be successful. If you make a pledge to each other like my wife and I did, we will never use the word D-I-V-O-R-C-E. That will never be in our vocabulary. I don't care how much, how heated the fellowship gets or how hot the discussion gets. We will never mention that because that will never be a solution to our problems. We will find a solution other than that. And we always have. And sometimes it took days and weeks to get to that solution. But we hung in there. We stuck it out. And anybody that will do that and have Jesus at the center of their marriage, they will have a successful marriage. I mean, we had a weak Jesus when we first got married. We were in a denominational church, but we had Jesus. And then when we learned the word and we got in closer relationship to Jesus and we understand how magnificent and wonderful he is, now we're even stronger than we've ever been. You know, Jesus is the only one that can truly save a marriage. Because that counselor, even if he's a worldly counselor, he might be able to give you some true advice, but if he never followed it himself, he don't have much confidence in that advice he's giving you. He's giving you advice out of a book that he read, a psychology book or something. But Jesus is giving you advice from the Word, which is a book, but it's a living book. It's a tried and proved book. It's been tried in the fire and refined. And he's the only one that can heal all the hurts that come through a broken marriage. He's the only one that can bring light to the problem that you're really having. And he not only does that, but he has a solution and the remedy for that problem. He will bring your marriage back to life if you trust him. Meditate on his letter to the Ephesians, the first letter we studied. Meditate on that letter. It'll show you how to restore a marriage. Because a marriage is no different than any other relationship. And he told that church how to restore their relationship with him. But that same remedy will work to restore a relationship with your husband or your wife. Buy of me white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. You remember Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig skins, fig tree leaves, fig leaves. Because they, for the first time in their life, they recognized their nakedness and they were ashamed. And so they thought they could cover it with some kind of a worldly remedy. And you know how well that worked for them. So if you'll recognize how poor you really are without Jesus, and if you will come to him, he said he'll give you true riches. You've been buying fig leaf clothing and trying to hide your sin for years. But if you buy from me, he says, I will clothe you with purity, righteousness, and power. Amen. Not some worldly fig leaf religion. Yes. If you'll just recognize, <coughs> excuse me, how blind you really are. If you'll just recognize how blind you really are, I'll give you eye salve that will open your eyes to see what's really important in life. I mean, we've been stumbling through life, bumping into things and running over things and getting run over. Why? Because we're not seeing. And so many of us are blind to certain things. He'll give you an eye salve that will open your eyes and all of a sudden you'll see the need for a savior in your very own family. You'll see the loss that's in your family. You haven't been able to see them because you've been blinded. Amen. But his eye salve will open your eyes and you'll see the need for him in your family's life. Yes. 
And he will give you the Holy Ghost. And if your fire is all but gone out and it's just barely burning in there, he'll light that fire again. He'll get that high fire burning, blazing hot again and give you boldness to witness. You'll see your lost neighbors for the first time in your life. And you'll feel compassion for them because you'll be feeling the compassion of God going through you. And you'll feel compassion for your lost neighbors. And you'll want to witness to them. And you'll look for opportunities to witness to them and get them into the kingdom of God. We're so blind to certain things. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. That word zealous came from a Greek word that means white hot fire. Like the kind of fire you'd get off a welding tip. He said, be on fire, therefore, and repent. Repent with all the zeal you have in you. See, if you're being rebuked and chastened by his word, it's because he loves you. And if you're being rebuked and chastened this morning, it's because you need to make a decision. Let me see now. I either sell out to Jesus, or who created the world and everything in it, and is eternal, or I sell out to the goods of this world and the little pleasures of this world and the little pleasures that sin brings me for a short time, which are all temporal. Let me think. If you have to think, you're in trouble. Yes. Here's the most pitiful part about this church. The most pitiful thing about this church. Jesus said in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I'll come in and have lunch with you, dinner with you. We'll fellowship. If you open the door, I'll clean your house. I'll get rid of all the sin that's in your life. I'll clean your heart, every corner, every nook, every cranny of it. Yes. I'll give you a new life. I'll make you a new creation. Just let me in. Yes. And they wouldn't open the door. Let me tell you a little story. I just heard it last night. Pastor and I were watching this movie called Little Church in Paradise or something. It was a cute little movie. But it was a woman pastor, and she was in a great, big, very religious church. And she got up to do the announcements, and they wore the, you know, gowns and robe and the scarves. And she's up there sweating, so she decided to take her robe off. Well, long story short, they got her defrocked and fired and sent to this little country church in Paradise, the town of Paradise. Yes. And so she's there and she's getting all kind of opposition because they're old-fashioned. They don't believe in women preachers and, you know, the whole shebang. But she told this story. She said there was this poor homeless man in the South. Actually, she said this poor homeless black man. who was really down and out, and one day as he's walking down this old dirt road, he heard beautiful music playing and what sounded like angelic voices singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And so he followed the sound of that music until he came to this little white church in the woods. I mean, white in color. It was white on the inside too. But he thought, oh my. God must have put this church here for me because he knew how I was feeling. Yeah. This is exactly what I need. And so he quietly enters the, the church and sat down in the back. Tears streaming down his face as the song ministered to his very soul. And when all of a sudden someone tapped him on the shoulder and he looked up and it was a deacon. And the deacon told him, he says, you can't stay here. You have to leave. And the man asked, why? The deacon said that 
We just can't have your kind in here. This is a church, a refuge. The poor man got up and went outside. He sat down on the steps and began to weep. And as he's sitting there, he felt a strong hand gently squeeze his shoulder. And when he looked up, he saw Jesus standing there. He said, Lord, I was just pushed out of this church and they won't let me back in and it's breaking my heart. Jesus looked at him with those passionate eyes and said, I know exactly how you feel. They pushed me out too and I've been trying to get back in there for years. This is the church at Laodicea. Now listen, I'm trying to close. There were a lot of things wrong with this church, but do you want to know the worst thing about it, the most pitiful thing about it? Jesus was not in it. Somewhere along the line, he got pushed out, and he's standing on the outside knocking, which tells me that he wanted to get in there. Yes. He wanted to bring life to that church. Yes. He wanted to forgive everybody in that church. Yes. He wanted to rekindle those fires that have gone out and the lukewarmness in this church, but they wouldn't let him in. Now, Jesus could do anything. He could kick that door. And we learned something about doors last week. And if you close the door of your heart to Jesus, he won't kick it in. And I told you about that painting where Jesus is standing at the door knocking, and there's no doorknob on the outside. That's because you control your own house. Yes. You decide who's coming in and who's not. That's right. So he just sits and knocks. That's right. He's a gentleman. He's on the outside of this church in Laodicea knocking, and he's trying to get in, and they won't open the door. But he wasn't just knocking on the door of that church. He was knocking on the door of every heart that was in that church, yes. every person that was in that church. Yes. He's knocking on the door of some of your hearts this yes. morning. Yes, yes. Will you let him in? Yes, sir. Is your life so busy that you don't have time for a rich relationship with God, something that's eternal, something that's going to last? Is your busy life more important than your relationship with God? He's knocking on doors this morning. He's knocking on doors all over this world this morning. He's knocking on doors in this little church this morning and on our Facebook audience's hearts. Are you having a hard time letting them in? You don't have to be afraid. I mean, the riches, the riches that he's offering this morning is far greater than the riches of the world. And besides that, if you let him in, he says, if you overcome, if you let me in, if you overcome holding the door closed and you let me in, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down in my father's throne. Man, he'll not only take you in, man, he'll put you in his lap. Yes. Give you everything you're missing, everything you need. Yes. You remember little Zacchaeus? Yes. Jesus is coming down the road and the crowd is so great. Zacchaeus is a little short man. He can't see anything, so he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Yes. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to have lunch in your house today. Yes. And Zacchaeus took him in. He opened the door and took him in. And Zacchaeus repented. And he said, I'll give everybody back not only what I took from them illegally, I'll give them even more. Yes. I'll give half of my riches to the poor. Thank you, Lord. Why? Because Jesus... He opened the door for Jesus. Jesus came in, supped with him, had lunch with him. Yes, yes. amen. What a glorious day for Zacchaeus. Yes. He was weighed in the balance. Yes. And he realized, I would rather get into the kingdom of God than stay in the world. And he gave it all up for Jesus. And Jesus is not asking you to do that. He's just telling you, make a commitment today. Get in or get out. Get all the way in the kingdom of God or get all the way in the world. Yes. Amen. But I don't want you in the middle anymore. You make me sick. Yes. 
Glory. So let me ask you one final question. Are you sold out to God this morning or are you still for sale? We're being disciplined with the word this morning because Jesus loves us that much. And because that's exactly why Jesus disciplines us is because he loves us enough to move us, to challenge us. So I challenge you this morning. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or raise their hand or come up here. If you're lukewarm, it's between you and God. I can't help you with it. You have to go to him. He'll help you with it. If you just let him in, he's knocking. If you just let him in, he'll take care of that lukewarmness. If you just let the Holy Ghost in, he'll rekindle that fire. And let me tell you something. Oil keeps some lamps burning. He's got an endless supply of oil. Amen. He'll light that fire and keep it burning. Yes. As long as you leave that door to your heart open. Yes. And again, if you're lukewarm, I've got good news for you. You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to leave here lukewarm. No, you don't. You can leave here on fire yes. with God and begin enjoying the riches of the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm talking to two people this morning. First of all, I want to talk to somebody that has been an unbeliever or has never confessed Jesus as Lord. And then I want to talk to those of you that have confessed Jesus as Lord, but you know you're lukewarm. There's a remedy for both of you. We're going to say a prayer, and I want you to say this prayer after me. And I want you to believe it in your heart. It's important that you not only say it with your mouth, but that you believe it in your heart. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, if you'll open the door to your heart, Jesus will come in and you'll be a new person. Repeat this after me. Father, I thank you. Anybody in here or is everybody going home? You should repeat this whether you need it or not. You should repeat it for the people that do need it. Yes. You should get involved. You should get yes. involved for the people that do need it. Come on. Let's try it again. Father, Father. that's better. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your great love. I thank you that you're knocking on my door. I will not pass this opportunity up. I open my door to you. I confess you as Lord. I ask you to come into my heart. Purge me. Cleanse me. Create a new heart within me. I thank you for it. I believe you've done that for me now. I am no longer lukewarm. I'm no longer lost. But I'm I've entered the kingdom, entered the kingdom for, the first time, for the first time, or I've re-entered the kingdom, and I'm leaving this door open. You come in and out, you come in and out anytime you want to. I thank you for saving me, healing me, sharing your kingdom with me. I thank you that you love me. Jesus name. In Jesus name. Amen. amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope that some of you prayed that prayer and meant it. Yes. I hope that some of you are going to leave here today no longer lukewarm but on fire for God. Amen. And go out there and witness. Yes. Start with your family. Yes. Quit being a wimp. Yes. Stand up to your family. Yes. Don't let them intimidate you and make make you think that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with them. If they don't have Jesus in their Amen. life, they're the ones with the problem, That's not you. Yes. And Jesus says, just witness to them. Yes. Yes. You're not responsible for them. Just witness to them. Yes. Then it's up to them. Amen. They decide whether or not they're going to open the door. Amen. That's not on you. Yes. So just do your job. Yes. Witness. Yes. Be a Christian, a real Christian. Quit being mediocre and lukewarm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. And amen. Thank you, Brother Darrell. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.